0: This is the Gifted Kid Complex, the show where the panelists were gifted kids and refused to move on, with a satirical take on intellectual elitism by having the most tongue-in-cheek, inane, pedantic, and convoluted conversations every week.
1: Introducing your host this episode, her burnout is imminent, it's Taya C. Welcome
0: to the (laughs) finale of my mini-series.
1: Yeah, not the finale of the season, the finale of the mini-series. No, no, no,
0: of the mini-series, of the mini-series. And every other episode, she's ambitious to the point of hubris. Your host will be Cher C. Clef is
1: the worst Clef.
0: Each panelist here today has experienced gifted kid syndrome
1: growing up in some way. Hi everybody, I'm Cher. I study philosophy at University College London And my fun fact of the day, and maybe we've moved on from doing personal fun facts, but I'm still going to do one today. I sat Mm. in the hair salon for eight hours today. Oh, hi, Patreon listeners. You can see my hair, by the way.
0: Yeah, (laughs) go and subscribe to Patreon if you want to see Cher's hair. Hello, I'm Taya. I do a BA in history at Oxford. And my fun fact is Shah Jahan Begum was actually like a female ruler um, of like the state of Bhopal. Um, in central mm-hmm. India, which was an Islamic principality from 1838 to 1901, the British tried to convince her that her remarriage and like her following of traditional uh, Muslim customs after her remarriage was um, her subjugation. Oh, in in subjugating her, they tried to tell her that she was being subjugated. Um, so there's some fun irony for you, and they didn't see anything wrong with huh. that, obviously,
1: but. Um, The error margins on fun fact have become really wide on the (laughs) show. It's just a fact, I suppose. A factoid. Do you have an of the day for us?
0: I do. Um, The word of the day is adenoidal. Adenoidal. Yeah. It means relating to or seeming to come from the adenoids, which is the flesh behind the back of the nose and the throat. So it essentially describes okay. someone who has a very nasal voice.
1: I see. Because mm-hmm. you said to do with the adenoids. I was like, that clarifies absolutely nothing. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I was like, am I expected to know that word?
0: No, I mean, you know, <laughs> I thought that maybe you might know it because you sing. We just say nasal.
1: And yeah, that's
0: sufficient. I just know it as nasal. So there's your <laughs> fancy word of how to say. Thank you. I'm so glad. Do you ever, like, look at someone and think they, they look like they're going to sound like they're nasal?
1: I don't know if I've ever, like, successfully guessed that someone's voice would be nasal. I've just mm. been deeply annoyed when it is.
0: I think it's interesting Sorry. that, like, sometimes we think that um, someone's voice doesn't match, like, their face or, like, their character. Mm. That's kind of what I want to get at this episode. Um, Because I see. for the first segment, we're literally just going to chat.
1: I mean, that is the entire show, to be fair. Like, the entire show is us chatting. <laughs> <laughs> it is a podcast, might I remind you.
0: Yeah, we're just going to chat. When I was first, like, thinking about whether well, to do an auditory episode, I was thinking about, like, the characteristics mm. of voice. Human voice, something very, very human about voice. Yes. Because animals make noises, but humans have mm-hmm. voice. And babies can recognize their mother's voice when they come out the womb, etc. Um, And we have things about Mm. hearing people's voices. I mean, literally, like, people listening to this are hearing our voices.
1: Yes, unless you're reading the transcription.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're just reading the transcript, uh, like a chad.
1: In which case, major props to you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Have you ever been told that your voice didn't match your face?
1: It's interesting because as a singer, when I'm told about my voice, usually it's you sound like you are a singer based on my speaking voice. And that's the thing that I find interesting. That, like, for some reason, they hear my speaking voice and they're like, you sound like you'd be a good singer. And I was like, thanks, but please hear me sing before you say that. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. I know, but I would, like, like it to be based in actual verification rather than, (laughs) you know, just, like, a random guess. But, like, the thing that makes me question that is because, like, I don't know what it is about my voice that makes it sound like I'd I'd be a good singer. Because... Yes, I know that the timbre of my voice is quite unique in that it's lower. I'm a contralto, by the way. My lowest note is an A2. My lowest consistent note is a C3. I don't know if anybody knows what that means, but Mm. I have a low voice. But low voice doesn't necessarily mean that I'd be a good singer. I mean, because like multiple people have told me about this. But I Mm. wonder if that's just like Bader Meinhof because I am a singer. Like maybe they say that to people who aren't singers.
0: Maybe maybe singers speak in a more dynamic way. Perhaps. Maybe. That. That people subconsciously register?
1: Maybe. That would be interesting to think about. But maybe anyone with music. Yeah.
0: Like people with
1: just musicality. And I think the other thing as well is being Chinese, we are taught how to speak tonally. Yeah. We do that in English. Although pitch in English Mm. works very differently. Um, Because in English, Mm. pitch is used to denote context or tone and emphasis rather than in Chinese mm. pitch is very much semantic giving it tells you what what word is being said so i'm not sure that it really directly corresponds that way but mm. i am aware that because we are taught how to speak and listen tonally that people who speak tonal languages specifically chinese languages have a higher rate of developing perfect pitch
0: oh okay that makes a lot of sense yeah because we're more makes in tune
1: with tune
0: <laughs> i was looking into synesthesia mm. um especially because i was thinking like why is it that we associate certain looks inherently with certain voices because you mm-hmm. think to yourself oh synesthesia is a certain condition that's only pertains to some people and yes in it's in that form it does but it is weird because there still is a relationship between like sight
1: and sound did you know that i'm a synesthete? I know. Okay. Sorry. I was like, do we have <laughs> we have we like said that before? I don't think we have on the show. Um so should I explain mine? Yeah, explain yours. So, I have associative synesthesia between graphemic color correlation. So, that's kind of one of the most common ones. So, mm. letters, numbers, dates, yep. n- names, just words have colors to me. What I've noticed is that oftentimes the word or the string of numbers the Colour kind of comes from the first character. For example, like the word beginning Mm. with A is more likely to be red because A is red. And that's kind of interesting. It doesn't work like that with every single word, but that's kind of a pattern I've noticed. I don't Mm. have projective synesthesia where I would actually see the colours. I think that might actually drive me insane. But I do get pissed (laughs) off when I see words and letters in the wrong colour because I'm like, that's... Not it. <laughs> I think of chords. Oh, chords have color. Yeah, but I don't hear the color. It's more like when I'm looking at the chord sheets, I can think of the chords as specific colors. So E minor is a blue, G is a green, F is an orange. But that's because of the letters in the alphabet. But it transfers over to chords as well. And I think with the major minor difference, it does darken when it goes to minor chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's interesting.
0: Oh, that's super interesting because um, mm-hmm. uh, so the study that I found is super interesting. Uh, What it did is that it used um, Mm. sensory substitution devices, so an SSD, they use to compensate for losing like another sense. So they convert information from one sense to another. How do they do that? So the voice is a visual to auditory SSD, which encodes images taken by a camera into soundscapes Mm that users can extract Mm. information from. So they looked at kind of the acuity of how quickly people were able to navigate and get to grips with it Um, and people improved. Oh. uh, And there was actually a positive correlation between musical training and acuity. That makes sense. So people who were trained in music were able to kind of navigate the new SSD a bit more aptly. I I suppose
1: or a bit Mm. faster. Are these musicians able to read notation? Do they have training in relative pitch? Because musical notation is kind of similar, right? We're transcribing what sounds would be in a visual format. It
0: doesn't say whether, it doesn't tell you what the musical experience
1: uh, is, right? So it's just musician or not?
0: Yeah, it might be like whether you're able to play an instrument of which different instruments obviously have different training levels for whether you can or can't read notation.
1: Yeah, it would be interesting to know the breakdown.
0: There probably is the breakdown somewhere. Yeah. Just that I've read the
1: report. (laughs) Get on it, research team.
0: Musical training or experience in fine sound discrimination.
1: Huh. That's not very specific. I would love to know it's not. the breakdown of what instruments people play, whether they have relative perfect mm. pitch, whether they are able to read notation, yeah. how long they've
0: been playing for. I guess it could be a fun fact. That's That's the real fun fact of the episode.
1: That's the real fun <laughs> fact? Okay, sure. Sure. I think it's interesting that we're talking about voices today because last episode we talked about IPA briefly.
0: We did. Oh, we did. Um... Actually, there's like more in this journal, by the way. Ooh. One of them analyzes voice-induced synesthesia. Mm. So where mm-hmm. synesthetic kind of um, perceptions are induced by voice, which is apparently not studied that much or hasn't been studied that much before. So they investigated kind of mm. color and visual texture associated with like uh, voice quality. So nasal, adenoidal, whether a whisper um, or a falsetto even. So mm. they they kind of compared people who were synesthetic and people who weren't. Mm-hmm. And synesthetes used more kind of color and texture terms mm. um, to describe voices. Notable consistent results actually between groups matched higher frequencies with lighter and redder colors, whispery voices with smoke kind of textures, mm-hmm. um, harsh and creaky voices with like um, a texture like dry or cracked soil. So mm. very, very interesting. They've codified like a whole different, a whole bunch of different kinds of vocal texture. That's that's cool. timbre, I suppose is
1: actually the right word. Did they um, check non-auditory synesthetes?
0: Wait, what do you mean non-auditory synesthetes?
1: Okay, so like there are different kinds of synesthesia, right? Like the different senses, combinations. So mine is visual, but I do get some auditory stuff, like kind of like associating texture, associating color. The relationship isn't as literal to me. It's just kind of like a vague idea. So I Mm. wouldn't consider myself someone with an auditory synesthesia, but I would still have a take, (laughs) you know? Mm. And I'd be interested to know if synesthetes that don't explicitly have one that involves sound also demonstrated, yeah, this kind of they did relationship,
0: I don't know what who was in the control group. The people who were like synesthetes, they were all self-reported, so yeah, they kind of noted that in the results as perhaps a mitigating factor because um the question arises whether voice induced synesthesia is actually a variant of synesthesia, like at all mm. um and voice color synesthesia may be nothing more than just like. Um, a phenomenon or an epiphenomenon of music, color, mm-hmm. synesthesia, the entanglement of multiple kinds of synesthesia, they say you have to take it into account in future research.
1: So it wouldn't be specific to voice, but
0: just sound
1: mm-hmm. is what they're saying.
0: Mm-hmm. And I found these whack-ass studies. They're going to be in the show notes. <laughs> I can't wait to read them. All the articles are on like different kinds of synesthesia and like experiments on it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a scientist, but I tried my
1: best to sift through them did you read about the battery, the synesthesia battery?
0: No. It was probably in the Wikipedia that I skimmed through.
1: I'm saying this as a synesthete who has tested for it. So there's a battery basically where they test you going through many things randomly. Mm. Um, so it'll give you the letters and it'll give you like a CMYK or like a RGB like scroller thing. It checks how consistent your answers are. So against a control group, of non-synesthetes who just try to remember what they do, synesthetes report at a much higher rate of correlation. So they actually did it on um, a natural distribution curve. And at certain cutoff, you are like, yep, this is a synesthete. But that's for me with the graphemic color one. I'm not sure how it worked for the other tests, but I imagine somewhat similarly. I, suppose I did so. it for letters, numbers, Chinese characters and months mm. and days. Oh, I didn't mention I have the Chinese color synesthesia as well, but it's more for the simpler characters.
0: I never thought that I was um, at all. Yeah. But I do like to color code things. And I don't think it's that that letter is that color. I just think that it's been that way. Right. It is that way. And if math isn't blue, I'm going to like, I'm going to go mad.
1: I think 40% or like a very high percentage of synesthetes think A is red because A is for apple. And we're just kind of all taught that as a kid. Mm. The A red correlation is very high. Like mm. A is for apple, but it's a green apple. <laughs> that has never, ever
0: been how people learn A is for apple. We always see we always see A is apple and apple is always red. Like I've never seen in a kid's book a green apple for A. Well, there's a reported phenomenon in synesthetes where different parts of their brain are linked up uh, a lot closer or a lot with a lot more neurons i suppose so there's a stronger association it's also mm-hmm. shown that psychedelic mm. drugs can actually cause you to temporarily experience synesthesia i've heard this which is so interesting because people who are synesthetes um will it be experiencing this all their life probably probably have for a long time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so it's interesting to that you can temporarily experience that while you're tripping on acid yeah yeah but
1: do they do they experience it in a projective way or just an associative way
0: i have not personally taken lsd so i would not be (laughs) able to tell you
1: you didn't you didn't even want me to explain what i meant before you went there (laughs) because okay so for graphemic color synesthesia because it's the one that i have so i'm most aware of how it works for me i have a very strong correlation like to me like a is red b is blue c is green it's just like factual to me but i don't necessarily see those colors is d yellow no d is like a darker purple
0: that's whack you've gone red blue green and then purple yeah and then
1: e is a light blue and then f is orange and green is uh green (laughs) g is green
0: g is so green
1: g is so green true the colors that start with that letter are gonna be that color for obvious reasons.
0: Mm. Continue with what you were saying. All
1: oh, right. So associative synesthesia is like that. I know the connection, but I don't see it. And projective synesthesia is the one that's more like ooh that people oh. know about and are more likely to call synesthesia because they actually see the colors. It might be that. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I I've never been under the influence of LSD or any psychedelics. Um, I don't think I intend to be.
1: I'm assuming you read this though that they said it in the paper.
0: No, it, this was not in the paper. I went on Healthline.
1: <laughs> Our favorite source. Our favorite yes. source,
0: Healthline. Yeah. You know when you just type it into Google and you like open all the results and then you just read through all the results?
1: Yeah. That's what I'm cooking. Don't I know that for researching for this show?
0: I don't think that it's been tested that heavily.
1: It must be a really small population that have experienced this.
0: <laughs> I think there are probably some ethical considerations with putting people or drugging people to study them.
1: I imagine so.
0: Do you feel like you're Synesthesia has like affected your experience of reality. Whoa. <laughs> in very, very significant um, ways. Hmm, hmm.
1: <laughs> in significant ways was the very necessary modifier for that sentence. <laughs> um, because obviously anything I experience modifies my experience of reality, right? <laughs> Just like on a tautological <laughs> level, it would do that. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I did do my personal project in year nine on synesthesia without knowing I was a synesthete Mm. because I only knew it as projective synesthesia at the time. And the more I read about it back then, I was like, oh, this is me. This is why I was drawn to this subject. It's just that I wasn't aware that it Mm. could happen the way that it happens for me. Mm-hmm. um so i only found out about it quite late
0: it's interesting that it's in multiple languages yeah for you as well so
1: i've always had it for easy chinese characters how common is that i don't know because i don't really know many of the synesthetes yeah. much less ones who are chinese speaking for me i only have it in mandarin yeah, not canto i don't really know how to read cantonese specific characters although mole is orange <laughs> and your is yellow. All right. Um so that's interesting. Mo is like the your in Chinese oh, but without okay. the hongs inside. So it's kind of like a negation sort of uh, mm. if you want to think of it that way. But um it's only like the simple Chinese characters that have it. The more complicated it gets, the harder it is for me yeah. to have a color association to it. I don't think it's really affected my life externally, but it's yeah. how I perceive words. Because it's just so natural to me. I don't notice it anymore. It's just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm perfectly capable of just reading without thinking about the colors of the words. But I imagine if I had projective synesthesia, it'd be much more evident.
0: The Guardian had an article about this, is that they were training people in synesthesia. Oh, If you frame it in terms of connections between different parts of the brain, by Mm -hmm. deliberately taking efforts to experience things that strengthen those connections, you can induce synesthesia. There's evidence that grapheme color synesthesia in particular leads to kind of enhanced memory
1: functions so that's that's yeah my memorization of pi was quite based in my synesthesia the number chunks had colors you just remember the colors not really but because there's an association there's kind of Uh... like okay i know like 3.14 is roughly green 1415 is kind of bluish uh like roughly so i go 3.14 how many did it? At, at my peak, it was, I think, close to 100 plus. What the fuck? But I imagine now it's a lot less because I haven't been actively practicing. <laughs>
0: Gifted yet. kid complex. No, listen, it's because
1: <laughs> I watched an episode of Child Genius and one of the kids could do it. And I was like, I can do it too. <laughs> so I did. That's also the gifted kid complex, seeing
0: other gifted kids (laughs) do shit and being like, I can do that too. I am also
1: smart. But like people have memorized more than me. Yeah. I imagine that I don't really remember that many or if I do remember chunks, they might not be in the right order anymore.
0: I think of myself as having a pretty decent memory and that I'm able to rattle off like several eight figure voting statistics in exams if need be. I'm not going to do it Damn. For if it's not for an exam or if it doesn't benefit me in some mm-hmm. way. Like, yes, I am a nerd, but I'm not going to be fucking obnoxious. <laughs> this feels targeted. <talk-ish. laughs> no, but your facts are based.
1: <laughs> I think this is the only episode that this will actually be very apt for me to mention this in. Because we're talking about memorization and sound and pitch and everything. Mm. So I have something called... Quasi perfect pitch or true pitch, as some people call it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not quite perfect pitch because I don't hear a note and hear the chroma of it and immediately be like, that sounds like an F. I hear the pitch chroma and I'm like, that sounds like what I remember an F to sound like. So I actually have to actively think about it. Oh, okay. Although some notes are easier for me to identify than others. So I could just hear a C, and if I'm not paying attention, I wouldn't clock it as a C, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 You need to like actively Yes.
1: So pitch recognition kind of exists on a spectrum. So there's yeah. Tone deafness, which blows my mind because pitch is just so evident to me so I don't really know what it's like to not be able to hear it and then there's just kind of like regular pitch recognition yep. which is like you're probably an untrained musician you can just hear if it's high or lower and that's pretty much it which is fine some musicians have that and they don't have relative mm-hmm. pitch and that's fine and they can get by mm-hmm. then you have relative pitch which is if you have a reference note you can figure out the other notes based on the intervals yeah that's mine then there's what I have which is basically really heightened pitch memory. And then there's perfect pitch, like perfect, perfect pitch.
0: Have you felt like that's deteriorated ever? Because I know that perfect pitch in its like most yes. perfect form... Ends up getting mm-hmm. worse over time.
1: Yes, which is horrifying. Do you feel
0: like yours is, is subject to that? It's memory though. So if you retain your memory and if you keep strengthening it, then theoretically it shouldn't go away.
1: It's not about going away, even with the perfect pitch havers. It's about going out of tune. My ears are slightly flat. Oh, okay. So if I tune things yeah. by ear, I might be like four or five okay. cents flat. And that's how I experience it deteriorating. Per se. And I mean, yeah. I'm only 20. Mm. I also didn't know I had it until maybe I was 12 because that's when I started tuning guitars and I could do it by ear. And I was like, oh, mm. because I had just done so many vocal warm ups and in choir and stuff that yeah. I just had the C major scale in my head. But the interesting thing that I did know that I could do, yeah. which other people couldn't, yeah. is that when I have quotes in my head from like media, film, TV, I can remember the pitch and the intonation in which it was said. And that wasn't a musical thing to me. I just heard, you know, the frequencies. Well,
0: to be fair, with some quotes, like especially Drag Race, you have to say it in the intonation that they do. That's half Mm -hmm. the point of the
1: quote. (laughs) No, but I remember the pitch, like not just the intervals.
0: Oh, like the exact. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess like I I have relative pitch, which obviously has been trained in me by the theory and the exams that I've done.
1: So this is exactly representational of what we have.
0: Relative pitch can be learned. Mm-hmm. The like true pitch and absolute perfect pitch are uh, less
1: so. I, I think, think for me um, I developed it, but I don't think I trained it yeah. manually or actively.
0: Maybe you could train it manually and I'd be excited to know if anyone could and whether they were a synesthete.
1: I think it's probably something you have to do when you're young though. Yeah, probably I imagine.
0: Anyway, um we've gone on for long enough. I have a game. Oh, <laughs>
1: I forgot how the show works for a second.
0: Well, to be honest, this whole episode was just about me going off the rails. And if you have been slacking and you don't know that I've been doing the senses yes. for my miniseries, uh, what are I, you doing?
1: <laughs> I think we've explicitly said that you were doing that, to be fair. We have. Which makes it worse if you didn't realize.
0: <laughs> the title of this episode is Beyond the Scope of the Sense-scape. Okay. <laughs> instead of just doing sight sound combined. Oh no. um, What about also the idea of like a sixth
1: sense? We have more than five senses, by the way. There there are some things that we actually have. We do. Like balance, amount of oxygen we have in our body. We call it
0: interoception, right? Like your ability to tell within you what's going on. So like, you know, if you sit in a quiet room and you're quiet enough, you can hear your own heartbeat. That's part of interoception. Mm-hmm.
1: It's very, it's very Edgar Allan Poe of us. It
0: very is. Uh, we love to see it. Balance, I guess, is part of that. How full you are, whether you need to pee. Yes. All that, all that kind of stuff.
1: We don't have a wetness sense, by the way. Do we not? No. It's a combination of cognitively, we've memorized what wetness feels like because of temperature or like ah, texture or like pressure. We don't inherently feel wetness. Yeah.
0: And also, like, I guess in the animal kingdom, some animals have like more senses. So,
1: electromagnetism,
0: electromagnetism, magnetoreception, yes. I suppose, is the right word yeah. for it. When pigeons are able to, to tell the North and South Pole and they're able to migrate. Aside from like biological six senses, we also have uh, the idea that a sixth sense is prediction or ability to kind of tell the future in in like a
1: in a sci-fi fantasy way
0: i almost like a cultural sense when we say someone's got a sixth sense we mean like they're able to do something unnatural let's say talk to ghosts yeah predict the future it really pisses
1: me off because we already have more than five senses
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple of movies that have kind of reinforced like the this, sixth sense i.e a movie literally called the sixth sense <laughs> Yeah, where the protagonist can speak to ghosts. Yeah. (laughs) So I was thinking- Oh, please,
1: are we going to go talk to a ghost?
0: Especially in like cultures around the world, but also especially in Western tradition, the idea of a sixth sense or being able to kind Mm -hmm. of prophesize, be able to see ghosts um, was attributed to mental illness, right? Or the
1: other way around sometimes, that the mentally ill was said to be prophets. Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I find it very interesting, that relationship with gender. Oh, okay. Just kind of going back to my fun fact in a bit. All little bit, yeah. I mean, you always get the crazy girlfriend stories, <sighs> right? You never really get crazy boyfriend
1: crazy stories. Crazy boyfriend is more like insane boyfriend, <laughs> like scary boyfriend yeah. rather than crazy.
0: The most morbid joke about that is you hear about crazy girlfriend, but you never hear about crazy boyfriend because the girl's dead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't get to hear it.
0: There's that. But I thought to myself, um, I'm really big into uh, gender history. Yes. So I thought it'd be fun to give you was this a real prophet or is it a fictitious prophet? Oh, it's real or fake? A female prophet, that is, a clairvoyant woman. Yeah, it's real or fake. Okay. So the fictitious ones I haven't made up, they're from a work of fiction. I have ah. left out myth because of the weird. Yeah, there's like a um, yeah. link in mm-hmm. between. That we can't really prove. I've brought in kind of um, women who were truly believed or really did exist in real life in this world. Okay. Who were claimed to be prophets. Okay. And people from stories. So perhaps a book of literature, um, a TV show, uh, a movie. All right. All right. Fact or fiction. Hit me. <laughs> I have four for you. Oh, four?
1: Okay. Okay. Your
0: first one, Marie Anne Adelaide Lenormand. Okay. Sorry. Uh, she's French. I don't speak French. My apologies. <laughs> Sorry, France. She was supposedly a necromancer during the Napoleonic era. Okay. She's considered perhaps one of the greatest cartomancers of all time. So cartomancy is yes. Cards, I think that's fairly yeah. tarot, essentially. Yes. Supposedly, she apparently gave advice to famous people and the leaders of the French Revolution. She was apparently close to Napoleon's wife Josephine. Okay. Um, Oof. and among them also yeah. apparently Robespierre, um, and Tsar Alexander the First. Ah,
1: Wait, she was in France. She's French, and she's in France. Yes. Okay, because French people can leave France, uh, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, they can. Uh, but obviously, she spoke to the Tsar. Yeah. So she might have been in Russia. We're not sure. She's highly influential on the wave of French cartomancy that actually began in the late 18th century. Right. So there was huge kind of wave of tarot and fortune telling in France that was kind of inspired by
1: her. Is it specifically tarot cards? No. Okay, so just cards. It's
0: cartomancy. Okay. She had a a series of cards. Um. That actually were based on hearts, diamonds, spades, and clubs. Okay, was it a French deck? So did it have four court cards? She only had thirty six cards in her deck. Oh, uh, it's called petit, was small monde. um Okay, and each of them has like a role and a meaning. So, for example, the um, clover card or the trefoil is uh, the six of hawk bells, aka the six of diamonds which means huh. luck or light-heartedness or small happiness or opportunity.
1: Okay. It kind of functions like the major arcana, sort of. Perhaps. But it's not. I truly don't believe that anything that you're going to tell me is going to actually give me any information as to whether it's real or not. You can
0: ask me a question if you'd like. I can ask questions? okay. Um, how old was she when she died? They say that she died in 1843 and was born in 1772. Could do that math, but I'm not going to. Um, (laughs) (laughs) could,
1: but won't. (laughs) Um, That places you bang in the middle of the French Rev. I would like, um, the audience to know, and I think I've made this plenty clear before. I know jack shit about history, so, um... (laughs) <laughs> I'm very uneducated in this field I have kind of vague idea of how things happened over time And even then, I don't necessarily know the dates As to when those things happened So, mm. um, okay, was she married? I don't think she was hmm.
0: There isn't written anything about her being married She left no
1: heirs other than a nephew uh, It didn't give me anything that would inform my decision, actually <laughs> I just asked questions um, I'm gonna say that she did exist. She did. Okay, thank fuck. <laughs> um
0: Yeah. It's very interesting how Napoleon kind of didn't really believe that she really could tell the future. Right. But his wife was was very fond, and as a result she was tolerated. She also escaped the French Rev, I think. Oh. Your your next one. Lovely.
1: I'm not prepared.
0: Mrs. Rosalie Thompson. British? Yes. March nineteen eleven, fire. A fire broke out at sixty-one Kent Road, and it broke out twice in the next week again in Harrogate. Okay. At the home of um oh, Mr. Heaven. Miss Mr. Heaven. Yeah. The teenage nursery maid. Isabel Scruton, she woke servants about a fire in her bedroom. These fucking names. She was arrested for attempted arson. And the detective was Rosalie Thompson, who said that Scruton had a dual personality. Okay. So DID. Thompson was supposedly able to go into trances where she would evoke her daughter what? her dead daughter
1: okay I was gonna ask if she, the daughter was dead so thank you for answering that yeah <laughs> how do you invoke someone who's alive you know what I mean <laughs> you call them in in this time period
0: there were a whole bunch of female mediums uh, this was a big thing actually in Victorian Britain surprisingly um, who would do seances and there was a society for psychical research uh-huh. who developed theories about telepathy, personality, and survival. So this is between 1899 and 1907. She sat for seances. Seances? Probably seances.
1: Okay, this is gonna be a stupid reason, but purely because the names are so batshit. So on the nose, (laughs) fictional (laughs) Britain, that I'm gonna, guess it's fictional. This is real. No fucking way. This is real. No, the UK is such a parody of itself. Yep. it's actually unreal that we live there <laughs> um this is real that's crazy that was actually this is real a guy called Mr. Heaven yeah so um there's the
0: society of psychical no. research spr was actually a working organization that produced research. Mm. When the trances came on, she'd like sit in her living room and it was very intimate. It was weird. And
1: what do you mean intimate?
0: It was intimate in that, like you were in this person's living room, like in her house, while she's going to evoke the memory of her dead daughter who uh, um, describes being inside her mother, like being in a house. Uh, so in the stomach. The it was, like, womb. was a complex, very intimate interaction between Nellie, Nellie Thompson, yeah. and her mother, Rosalie Thompson. Mm. Meanwhile, the, random psychiatrist, probably a man, and I think it was a man, was probing her for information. The optics are very strange, but I think that's the point. Was it a literal probing? I don't think it was, and thank God. Yeah, Um, that's good. I think that they were kind of very interested in this idea of female insanity. Yeah, hysteria. Female hysteria or the feminine ability to connect kind of to the past, which was kind of based on this very ancient Greek idea of the wandering womb it's kind of like the idea of the womb is unstable, as making a woman prone to madness or hysteria. Is it like wanders around her body? I suppose. Yeah.
1: I mean, okay. I was <laughs> I was debating whether it was going to be real just because of how fictional the names were. Like in a like in a subversive, like this clearly seems to be fake. Therefore, you picked it out to you know get me. Although I gave you a gimme a few episodes ago. And you did the thing where you thought I was tricking you. And I was wondering if this was one of those cases where it's like, it's really not that deep. (laughs) Uh. Yeah, um, this is real. Yeah, the names just sounded so fucking fictional. Like high fantasy. Yep. Britain, huh? Huh.
0: They linked to the article, which was in my reading list um, (laughs) a couple months ago. Wow. will be in the show notes. It's a very interesting read. Uh, I highly recommend. Where's Kent Road? It's in Harrogate. The South. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for number three?
1: Yeah, sure. Fuck it. <laughs> in
0: 2020. Oh. Oh yeah. There was a police report of um, a woman in South Korea. Oh, Well, she's there in the police report as um, helping to deter an abusive older uncle from beating his nephew.
1: Okay, the story immediately got less fun.
0: She claimed that she exercised the demon inside him. You know, that seems, um,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and that he exhibited signs of possession. She claimed that she was able to sense evil spirits from hundreds of kilometers away. Hundreds of kilometers? Uh, and could also read and enter memories. What does she
1: mean by enter exactly? Do you have any like elaboration to give me?
0: The police report doesn't really say much mm-hmm. about- I, I,
1: That, that what seems fair.
0: <laughs> it is that she could do. Mm-hmm. And there's very, very little in the news about her. There is a long history of South Korean shamanism and fortune telling. Yes. Um, and clairvoyance. Some of it still occurs today. So I find it interesting that she did not claim to be that. Oh, she didn't claim to be that. I think also it's that it's a very specific kind of cultural tradition Mm. and she believes that she has the power of exorcism and like be able to kind of read into people's memories rather than be able to, I don't know, um, interrogate like the spirits in someone's
1: mind I can totally imagine a real woman <laughs> saying these things. I don't know so much about believing that she could actually do it. <laughs> Stuff like this still happens. It does. And here's the thing, if someone was trying to write a convincing fictional story, I don't think they go so far as to be like hundreds of kilometers cuz that sounds too OP. It sounds more like someone (laughs) who's actually just like being like, guys, I'm so cool. Yeah. On a surface level, you'd be like, oh, okay, the more unbelievable it is, the more likely it's fiction. But I think fiction writers, especially now, are putting a lot more emphasis on believability.
0: Yeah, okay, real or fake? Fact or fiction?
1: I'm wondering if you're doing something to me and you're doing them all real, and that would be so funny. (laughs) Because if you if you do, that is a fucking big bad <laughs> move.
0: I I could do that.
1: You could. There's nothing stopping you. Fuck it. I'm gonna say it's real because I just I want to believe this woman actually said those things. It's fake. Fuck. Whoever wrote that is so bad. That's such a bad script. <laughs> this is from The Uncanny Counter on
0: Netflix. Why? <laughs> Why? Sorry, spoilers, by the way, for like episode four. Tohana is a character in a drama and the nephew that she saved is another one of the main characters. Yeah, she she actually does see the spirits, obviously, in uh, because it's CGI.
1: Dark. No, it'd be so great and subversive if it was a fictional woman who said she could do those things but couldn't. <laughs>
0: It so would be, but yeah, that's, that's, that's from, uh, Korea. I, I, again, I still found it very interesting. That is interesting. I'm so upset. Yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. Cause that just seems like bad, right? <laughs> Listen, it's like a random, very silly K-drama on Netflix. Okay. And your last one, Sharina Lee. She was the first woman preacher in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. L-E-E. L-E-E. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. She was born into a free black family in New Jersey, and she asked the founder to be a preacher. And originally she was denied, but in 1819, it was approved. She was part of kind of a mystic culture of African-Americans. I guess it is a testament to the kind of creativity uh, and genius of black people who were enslaved. Who do? Where in America is this again? New Jersey within slavery a lot of African Americans kept um, old traditions or kind of Mm -hmm, created mm -hmm. new forms of spirituality or adapted or kind of renegotiated what they believed um, spiritually and kind of kept alive a spirituality in resistance to slavery. Mm -hmm. It results in this kind of really vibrant mystic culture. Yeah, she, in 1836, became the first African-American woman to publish her autobiography. This
1: is going to be really sad if it's fictional.
0: (laughs) Fact or fiction?
1: I want it to be real. Okay, New Jersey, because I'm aware that hoodoo is more like southern east kind of region. She's in a church, so she becomes a,
0: a preacher of the Christian faith.
1: There are hoodoo practitioners who do go to the church. I'm aware that this is a thing that happens. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a really interesting relationship in kind of slave communities between adopting the Christian faith and um, keeping some of their original Mm -hmm. spiritual beliefs.
1: I'm going to say it's real. And my reason for this is I don't feel like you would want to put this story in the context of it being fictional. My previous guesses had nothing to do with what you were telling me and more so about (laughs) whether I could imagine (laughs) that someone wrote (laughs) this. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to judge. It could totally be written, and that would be phenomenal. But I also think that you would want to represent that side of female mysticism in reality. So I'm going to go ahead and say it's real.
0: It is real. My God. Drina Lee is uh, quite famous, (laughs) which I think is is so fun. Uh, We love to see uh, women trailblazing. We do. I am a historian, after all.
1: That was that was the game <laughs> theory coming in, and me knowing you as a person. So it was kind of a measure. <laughs> yeah, yes,
0: you're right. With that, thank you for listening to the Gifted Kid Complex. If you have enjoyed this episode of our podcast and would like to support us, a very simple way to do so is to let people know that we are here. And do subscribe or follow so you can come back every week and rate and review us so others can find us too, especially on Spotify.
1: Yes, and you can support us more directly by pledging on Patreon. So there you will find our episodes in video form, exclusive bonus content made of the fascinating tangents that hit the cutting room floor and before and after commentary from the cast and crew. It is linked in our show notes alongside any citations and references to topics we discussed today if you want any further reading.
0: If you can't pledge on Patreon, we understand, but not to worry, here on our main RSS feed, we occasionally also release bonus content for free and our episodes in video form, will be made available for everyone on YouTube every three months.
1: We'd love to hear from you if you'd like to contact us for business inquiries to ask questions or just to show us anything you think we'd find interesting. You can do so via email or form in the link tree in our show notes or through our Instagram account, which I manage and I look at all the messages. So it'd be very easy to get in touch. (laughs) Please
0: do. The Give the Kid Complex is created, directed, and produced by Cher C., our co-hosts and primary writers and researchers are Cher C and myself. Our primary editor is Cher C., our secondary editor is myself, I also audio engineer. Our talented team of lovely assistant writers and researchers consists of Alex E, Delaney L, Isaiah H, Jenny S, and Lucas H. Unfortunately, I did not have the time to consult them for this episode. (laughs) I would have liked to very much. It's okay.
1: Season two. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We record our episodes on Riverside.fm and publish with RSS.com. So thank you to them for helping us and make the Gifted Kid Complex exist.
0: And finally, thank you to you, our patrons and listeners, because you are the reason that we can and do make the gift kit complex. See you next week.
1: For the season finale. Season
0: finale. Where Cher has the hair she had two weeks prior when you're seeing this on Patreon.
1: We recorded it (laughs) a while ago. (laughs)